Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Uh, Hebrews 1.1.4 In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir to all, and through whom he made all the, made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact, exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he, he had made, after he had provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he had, has inherited is supreme to theirs. Uh, turn over to Hebrews 2, verse 1 to 4. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedient received just its just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Thanks, Pat. Dustin's going to come and preach. He's going to kick us off. Let me pray for Dustin and for ourselves. Father, we thank you for the book of Hebrews. We thank you that we now have a a two, three-month period looking at it. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would become bigger in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, because we spent time thinking about who you are and what you've done. So bless Dustin now as he kicks off our series and give us open hearts to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 1, I have so much to cover today, but uh, it's going to be fun. So welcome. If you're here for the first time, just welcome to you. Uh, If you're here for not the first time, you're welcome to, of course, you know that. So um, Hebrews, this book is incredible. I'm so glad that we get to spend how long? Next couple months going through the book of Hebrews. It lays out some of the most incredible truths about Jesus. But all that you need to know as we get into this book is that Jesus is better. Like if you just hold that throughout every week, there's going to be some challenging things that we're going to cover over the upcoming months because the the uh, audience that the author is writing to here is Jewish Christians who would have had a foundation of Jewish knowledge uh, and Judaism and how to worship God through Judaism. And so Hebrews has this kind of underlying tone that if you don't know much about Judaism, you're going to be like, wow, what is that about? Which just forces us up here to be more clear about what we're talking about. But if you hear nothing else, week after week after week, you're going to hear Jesus is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than the, the priests. He's better than Moses. He's better than the sacrifices that took place in the Old Testament. Jesus is better. That's what you're going to get. But today I get to start with the privilege of introducing you to who is Jesus. And maybe some of you, you've been around Christianity for a while and you're like, ah, I had to come on the who is Jesus day. I know all this stuff. Jesus is 
God, Jesus is. And you just know, or, or maybe you're here and you're like, I don't know, like, who is Jesus? I'd like to hear a little bit about this. I'm glad you came today because that's what we're talking about. And uh, here's what you need to know about Hebrews. It's written to Jewish Christians in about 60 or 70 AD, probably, probably in or around Jerusalem. That's what I believe is around Jerusalem. Could have been other places. It's written kind of like a sermon that was preached and then written down and then like a little thing at the end that made it a letter and then kind of sent out to different churches or different groups of people who would have been struggling. And it was written to people that were really struggling with persecution. And what happened is about this time, if, if you know anything about this history, about 70 AD, the temple gets destroyed by the Roman Empire. The temple in Jerusalem where the Jews would go and worship gets destroyed in 70 AD. But about this time, there's this real tension inside of synagogues and inside of places of Jewish worship. See, up to this point, Rome had considered Christianity just a sect of Judaism. And for some reason, I still haven't figured this out, Judaism was kind of grandfathered in to worship the way they worshiped. But, um, and so the Christians were kind of under their umbrella, but about this time, the Judaizers realized, oh, wait, 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 you're saying Jesus is God, we don't believe that, and they start to force out Christians out of the synagogue and out of the temple, which only leaves them under the umbrella of Rome, and guess what they're saying? Caesar's not God, Jesus is God, which then brings this crazy persecution. This was a dreadful time for Christians. And so this is a letter written to those people during this time to say, don't give up, don't give in, believe, stay believing, where else are you gonna go? And so here's my question to you. If you got a letter today from a friend who had given their life to Christ and then they started experiencing some struggle and they write you an email or a letter, a letter would be impressive. That would be like, you know, real deal. You know, like handwritten, you'd be like, wow, this is serious. But an email, let's just say an email comes and the email says, uh, hey, um, I'm going to pick on Jordan because he loves to be picked on uh, from the front. So, hey, Jordan, uh, you know, somebody writes a letter to Jordan. Say, hey, Jordan, um, listen, I, I've given my life to Christ, and it started off pretty well. It was pretty great, but now it's, it's kind of hard. I go to work, and everybody knows that I'm a Christian, and, and I can't win because on the one side, if I don't do something bad, they say, oh, it's because you're one of those Christians, if I don't say a bad word or I don't look at something. But on the other side, if I do something bad, then they're like, I thought you were a Christian. And I can't win on either side of this. And you know what? It's just really hard. And so I'm thinking about just kind of, I don't know, keeping it kind of low down, kind of stepping back in to where I've been before. And maybe, you know what? I thought it was going to be great. I thought it was going to be really great. But it's just harder than I thought. And so I think I'll just step back. What do you think Jordan responds with? What do you think he says? What would you say if you received that email? How do you respond? And so with that in mind, this is the letter that's written to that kind of thinking. We want to go back. It's hard. By this time, by the way, they probably suffered persecution for 20 or 30 years under Roman Empire. Like, I, okay, one year persecution, I'm like, God, where are you? 20 years persecution? I'm like, where's God? Like, it's 20 years. You said you were coming back. This is kind of some of their thoughts that they're thinking about. And so that's the setting for this book as we open up. Listen to this. 
Long ago, at many times and in many, any, <laughs> in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Long ago, and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So he's writing to them, he's saying, look, God has spoken to us, and in the past, long ago, and in many ways, he spoke to us. I used to do this class where I got to teach on how God speaks, and I would, I would have an audience like yourselves, and I would say, okay, um, if we can just take one minute, one minute, we'll time it, and we'll put on this board all the ways that you can think of that God speaks. And we would hit the timer, and, and that class, I would have another class the next month, and so we'd always compete. And I think the most we ever got up to was like 57 different ways that God speaks through the Bible. God spoke in so many different ways. Like, if you just sit and think for a second, like, there's ways that God spoke. We know he spoke directly and audibly. The burning bush always comes to mind. The fact that God spoke through a rainbow to promise that he's never gonna wipe the world out again with water. God spoke through a donkey in one place, one of my favorites. The donkey just talks. I'm like, oh, I can preach then, I guess. And, um, and so that was a joke too. Come on. <laughs> I compared myself to a donkey and got nothing. That's lame. But God speaks, and so what he says here is long ago and many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God would have prophets do crazy things. He sent Jeremiah out to lay naked out in the street in the mud to say, hey, if you don't turn back to God, that's going to be you. You're going to be naked in the mud at some point. And so he says long ago and in many times in many ways, he spoke to us by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The Bible refers to Jesus as the Logos, God's word. The scriptures tell us that Jesus is God's word and that he's the message of God. And what, what he's trying, the author's trying to get across here is, listen, God spoke in all these different ways, but to make it very clear, God has sent his most perfect messenger, his own son, to deliver the message that you need to hear. He sent the very best that he could send with this message. He's spoken to us by his son. And then he's going to go through and list out different ways that he's spoken to us. But he says, uh, whom he appointed the heir of all things. I always want to say hair there, and that's just lame. It's like herbs and herbs, you never know. Um, whom he appointed the heir of all things, or the ruler of all things. So the first thing we need to know about Jesus is he is appointed the ruler of everything. He is the ruler of everything that is around us. In Matthew 28, the scriptures tell us that all authority in heaven and earth is given to me, Jesus says. All authority. He owns it all. The scripture is going to go on to say in Hebrews that it's not all yet subjected or in submission to Christ. That's going to happen one day. But he owns it all. He's the, he rules everything. Jesus is the ruler of all things. Through whom also he created the world. Jesus is not only the ruler, but he's the creator. A creator has the right to do with its creation what they want. You know what I mean? Unless you're Taylor Swift and you sell your rights to a record company, the creator gets to do with the creation what they want. And so the scriptures tell us that Jesus is the ruler of all things, but then to kind of like build this case for Jesus being God, which is what it's pointing to, he's the creator of all things. And so don't get confused. Jesus isn't just some sort of messenger, but he's the ruler of all things, and he created everything that we see. And he was there in the beginning with God before time even started. He was creator. 
And the, the Bible says that nothing was created apart from him. He was there with the Father and the Spirit, and together, all of them, they created everything that we see in the world. Who is Jesus? He's the ruler of all things. He's the creator of all things. Next verse says, he's the radiance of the glory of God. Glory is, has this weightiness to it. He's, he's the heavyweight in the universe. He's the, he's the radiance of God's glory. Uh, the best example I heard of this is that if God is the sun, Jesus is the light of rays that come from the sun, illuminating everything, heating up everything, light and heat coming from Christ. He's the radiance of the glory of God. The, the author's going, look, he's the heir of all things, he's the creator of all things, and he's the exact radiance of God. Don't miss Jesus. And the exact imprint of his nature. This is, this is that God's character is best demonstrated in Jesus. If you want to know what God's really like, read about Jesus. This morning, um, we were doing, we do this Sunday morning, like, we have this great breakfast in the morning, and then we do this devotional thing where we just read a little story from the Jesus Storybook Bible with our kids, and um, some of us mumble along to songs afterwards. I don't sing very well, so I try to keep it down to not offend everybody else around me. But we have this great time. And today we got to cover this story about Zacchaeus. Anybody heard the story of Zacchaeus? He's, uh, the story is, is that there's this wee little man is what the Bible is like this little bitty man. And this little bitty man was a tax collector, and he had nobody that liked him. In fact, Jesus starts coming to town, the story tells us, and Zacchaeus, um, you know, like, I was at St. Patty's Day a few years ago, kind of going down a rabbit hole, and there was like five deep of people, and I remember standing back here, it was freezing cold, and somebody said, hey, uh, we can actually put your kids right there on that thing if you're okay with that, and they moved my kids up and put them in front so that they could see the parade. That was really cool. Zacchaeus, he wants to see Jesus. He comes out to see Jesus, and everybody just blocks him, and because he's a wee little man, he can't see over the crowd. And so you know what he does? He goes and climbs a sycamore tree, the scriptures tell us. Love that detail. Sycamore, not something other tree. He climbs the tree, and I just, I love the picture because he's a tax collector. He's been robbing from the Jewish people, and nobody likes him, and so, so much so that they won't even let him through to kind of see Jesus. He climbs this tree. He's sitting up there, probably in his nice clothes, looking for Jesus. Jesus comes walking by and sees Zacchaeus up there and says, hey, come down. I'm going to eat at your place today. And you can imagine the minds of the people there like, what is he doing? That dude's a traitor to our people. If Jesus knew who that man was, he wouldn't be eating at his house. No, no, no. That's actually the exact person that God wants to go and eat at his house. You see, we, we get Jesus confused. We like to make him in our own image. We like, to, we like to say, oh, Jesus wouldn't do that. He's like this. No, no, let the Bible tell us what Jesus is like. Go and see what kind of people Jesus hung out with, the kinds of questions he asked, the way that he carried himself, the way that he prayed, the way that he walked, the, the people that um, everybody else counted as outcasts, yet he went to and loved. And so the scriptures tell us that he's the exact, the exact impression of God and his character. What's God like? Go look at Jesus. says, uh, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I think, and I'm, I'm reading from a different translation. It says this, 
Um, it says that uh, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The picture is this. Jesus says, and it is, and if Jesus ever doesn't say, it's not. Like, like the, the scriptures tell us that God created the world that he spoke and it was, and it is Jesus' word that continues to sustain everything that we see. And so if Jesus ever just stopped speaking, if, if God could be distracted, it would just cease to exist. It's all held together because of his word. Like, do you under, like that is power, just the word. And this says this, as after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Oh, that has two, two things here. Purification for sins, Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he was the only one who could die in our place and take our place for the sins and the penalties that we owed, and so he paid the, the cost and he purified us from sins, and then it says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty, so there's two things. One is, he's done, the work is done. When Jesus was on the cross, he actually cries out, it is finished, and at that moment, he gives up his spirit, and he dies, and then he comes back to life three days later, proving that he had power over sin and death in the grave. But when he said it's done, it was done. Now the Jewish people, they would have to go back year after year after year and make sacrifice for their sins. And they would have to come back and they would, they would think about their past year and they would come and offer up a lamb. I've got this weird bubble in my throat. It makes my voice sound funny. Probably not to y'all, but... Thanks, Tim. So... So Jesus, Jesus, when he sacrifices for sins, it's one and done. His blood is so precious that there's no more need for another sacrifice. He's done. And not only that, but he sits at the right hand of Father. This is talking about Jesus' prominence. He's at the most prominent position in all of eternity forever at the right hand of the Father. Whew, Jesus... This is Jesus. And then we get into verse four. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now this is kind of a weird statement, I feel like. Like if you're just reading this, you're like, he's the, he's the exact representation of God, he's the radiance of God's glory, and he's better than angels. And you're like, yeah, I figured. <laughs> And so what's he getting at here? Well, uh, at this time, there was a temptation to elevate angels higher than they should be. Angels had brought down, in fact, the law to Moses, and so the Jewish people held angels in this high regard, and there was even some temptation to worship angels. In fact, when angels show up over and over, people fall down before the angel, and they're like, uh-uh, get back up. I'm just an angel. I'm not God. Worship God. I mean, these are powerful beings. And so the author here, he wants to point out the first Jesus is better that Jesus is better than the angels. He's superior to the angels. And so he's gonna go through a couple of things here. He's gonna pull from the Old Testament um, and primarily the Psalm, Psalm 2 and Psalm 104. Uh, you know, it might be something to think about going through in your city group this week, kind of going back to those Psalms. There's so much there. We're not gonna go into it today. If you're not in a city group, it's, it's a great opportunity to get into one like this week. I know we don't have it next week, but just get into one because it's a great space to kind of sort through and process through these things amongst other things that you do. Um, but, but yeah, I would recommend that. But here's what he says. He says, for which, he's just gonna give some arguments, okay? And I'm just gonna hit this really quick. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? 
verse 5, or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. So the first thing, Jesus is better than the angels in title. He's not... He's not created. He's the son of God, begotten by God, the only begotten son of God. He has the most prominent title in all of the universe that, I keep using universe. There's no bigger word I can think of. In all of everything outside of the universe, everything, his name, the son of God. He's the only begotten son of God. That's a poetic way of demonstrating the relationship between God. He wasn't created. It's not like he uh, was, became the son uh, at the birth, but it's a way that demonstrates the, the relationship of God and Jesus. And so, so which of the angels, he's like, which of the angels does God ever say, you're my son? Well, the answer's none, Jesus. He said it to Jesus, who's not an angel, who's better than the angels. Verse six, and again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angel spirits and his servants Flames of fire. And so uh, the second thing, that Jesus is better than the angels and that he deserves worship. We're to worship Jesus. We're not to worship angels. Their job is, their, their angel spirits are sent and they're flames of fire. Like these are big deal, but they're not to be worshiped. Jesus is to be worshiped. His name is higher than theirs. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angel spirits and his servants flames of fire, verse seven. But Verse eight, about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Let's just point out, this is, he's a king. He's the king. This is his title, his position. He's better than the angels because he's a king. Goes on to say, you... In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed. But you remain the same and your years will never end. Oh, come on. Like, just imagine the most beautiful place you've ever been in the world. For me, there's, there's two places. One is uh, where Carrie grew up in Wyoming, uh, the Grand Teton Mountains, and then uh, there's also Lake Tahoe, which is a beautiful place by Reno, where we're from. And then I've also been to the Cliffs of Moher. You ever been out there? You just get out there, and you're like, <gasps> and you take your kids out there, and you're like, <gasps> it's terrible, terrifying. You're like, don't walk, don't breathe, don't move. And it says here that Jesus will one day roll that up like a robe like a towel. He's just going to roll it all up. That's power. I mean, it takes your breath away, but then Jesus just rolls it up. And to which of the angels did God ever say, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And then verse 14, he, he kind of tops it off. He says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Well, they are. That's a yes question. And then, and then, so what are the, he says, look, angels are ministering spirits. They, they definitely are powerful. They're, they're flames of fire, like these things, these words that are associated with them. They're not Jesus, though. Jesus is Jesus. He's God. He's the ruler of everything. He's the creator of everything, the exact representation of God's glory. He can roll this all up like a towel. That's the Jesus we're talking about. 
Don't get confused. Angels aren't Jesus. They're angels. Jesus is Jesus. And so then he says this, verse two, I'm sorry, chapter two, verse one. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. The greatest travesty that we could have is to come to hear about Jesus and who he is and recognize that he is God and that he rules all things and then to miss it, to miss who he is in such a way that we walk away from him or ignore him. He says, listen, don't miss this. Pay very careful attention so that you don't drift away. He says, for since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation, volition and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great of a salvation? And what he's pointing to here is, look, there's no other place to go. If you're writing that email to that person, responding to them, they're saying, I'm really struggling. If I, if I should just bail on Jesus, I, you know, it'd be better. It'd be easier if I could just pursue this or that. Where are you going to go? Jesus rules it all. One day, the scriptures tell us that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Like, there's nowhere else to go. But we're tempted, aren't we, sometimes? And we're definitely tempted to drift or else the scriptures wouldn't tell us, be careful, don't drift. And what are we tempted by? Well, I think a lot lesser things than the Jewish audience of this, the Jewish Christian audience of this text. You know what distracts me? Netflix. Ouch. I didn't even know what binging was until Netflix came out. Now I can't stop. I just love binging. He says, pay careful attention lest you drift. And then he says this. If it was spoken, if what was spoken through angels was binding, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? What is this salvation? It's Jesus. The one who created all things, the exact representation of his character, that same one was killed on a cross. The message that came through angels is is so much less than the message that came through Jesus and his death on a cross. It's proving that he was God. Don't ignore this salvation. Don't ignore that this is the one, the one who loves you, the one who chose you and died for you. He's the God of all things and he knows you and loves you and died for you. Don't ignore this and don't forget about it. Don't drift away from it. Our temptation is to go, oh yeah, I've heard about Jesus before. I know these stories. I've heard about this. This is good. Yeah, Jesus is Jesus. I'm just gonna show up week to week, kind of go to church, do my thing. No, he's saying, look, no, no. This is a great salvation. It's, it's all encompassing. Don't ignore it. Finishes off, it says, um, this salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Uh, in Jewish thinking, you would have needed three confirmations. Uh, and this was a confirmation. Jesus was who he says he was, not only because of what had happened, but also because he was announced, it was confirmed, and then there were signs and wonders that demonstrated it. All these things played to factor in to go, don't, don't fall. Don't slip away from believing in this Jesus. See, the gospel, I used to think that the gospel was good for getting us into the kingdom, and then you just kind of moved on from there. And the reality is we don't move away from it. The scriptures tell us over and over 
Don't lose sight. Don't forget about the gospel. Stay true to the salvation. And here's the thing. The gospel saved me. That was huge. The gospel is also still moving. The good news about Jesus still moves, and it still is working. It's working in my marriage. It's working in how I parent my kids. It's working in how I spend my money. It's working how I spend my time. See, the gospel, it actually starts to transform different areas of our lives. And any area that we see that we're not bringing to the obedience of Christ, that's an area where we're not believing that God is who he says he is, that Jesus is who he says he is. And so then we have to come back and we go, oh, Jesus I'm not believing that you're better than Netflix. I'm not believing that you're good and that a soft answer turns away wrath. I'm not believing, we're not believing the text. And when we find that unbelief, we wanna try harder, but that's not the answer. The answer is to believe again, afresh, to confess, repent. And so in a few minutes, we're gonna do the communion supper and it's all about that. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you. God, I'm so grateful for the work of Jesus. I'm so grateful that Jesus is who he says he is. God, I pray that you would refresh the image of Christ over this series, Lord, that Jesus would just get bigger and bigger and bigger each week, that we would see Jesus for who he really is and that that would stir our affections so that we would worship and we would bow down and we would give up on things that are holding us back and that we would run the race that's set before us. God, I pray that you would develop in us greater faith in this Jesus, that we wouldn't shrink Jesus down in our minds, but that he would be all-encompassing, that it would, it, we would line up with the reality of what the text tells us that Jesus, you might be big and magnificent and huge and that we might be breathless when we think about you, that you would just expand our vision of you over these weeks and these months that are coming. God, I pray that there would be a greater sense of worship week to week to week as we know more about you in Jesus. Love you so much, and I'm grateful. Thank you for everything you've done. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.